Hello and welcome to A Sporting Discussion, your podcast that discusses sports of all sorts. I am Andrew Donison and I'm joined by a man who has been standing by his phone all week waiting for a call from Melbourne United, AJ Mithen. Stroking the J for the last fortnight, Andrew. Stroking the J at the local school. Oh, hang on. In this week's episode, we will be touching on some... News in the AFL, we'll be talking to Collingwood Football Club's National Recruiting Manager, Dom Malisi. We'll discuss, once again, the abject performance of the Australian cricket team. And we'll have a bit of a weekly wrap at the end with some Wayne Bennett, some A-League and a lot more. As we always say, a discussion is two ways, us here at ASD Stadium and you, the listeners. Get in contact with us via Twitter at ASD underscore podcast or facebook.com slash a sporting discussion so we can make sure we are talking about issues that are of interest to you. We kick things off, as per usual, with confirmations and corrections from the research division. AJ, I'm not going to play the tune this week. We don't have a confirmation or correction, but we've got some serious business to get down to. Some serious business, yes. Uh, We posted a couple of things. We're trying to look and uh, keep the podcast fresh and hip. Well, maybe not hip, but fresh, up to date, relevant. People who say they want to keep things fresh and hip are probably neither. They ain't hip and they ain't (laughs) fresh. Uh, So we put it up, we put it to you on Facebook. Uh, Suggestions for ways to keep the show interesting. Uh, We've had quite a few. Uh, We're not going to put any to names, but we've had keep it to 45 to 50 minutes, yeah. Uh, keep the guests coming, absolutely. No, yeah. one, no one wants to listen to us. No, we've got a very good one today as well. More online polls and questions. Yeah, we can do that. Yep. Outside broadcast. Now, we've actually thought about that, um, doing some live uh, podcasting uh, with some video as well. Uh, stay tuned for that. There's a little bit of practice going on because there's a very special filter you need when we're going to be on screen. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But there's also a little bit more technology that we require and we're working that out at the moment. Yep. Uh, A couple of points about the music. Uh, We're in a bit of a bind with the music because we we much love and thanks to Black Creek who supply the music for the... Uh, stings mm. uh, and much love and thanks to Garage Band who supplied that bass riff <laughs> that we use. Uh, but yeah, as we, as we as we've said all along, uh, putting music in a podcast is a legal minefield if you don't have uh, the rights to a certain song, including Champion by Dwayne Bravo. Damn it! Um, but yeah, thank you so much for the feedback. Keep it coming at facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Uh, we'll keep the post pinned to the top. Uh, so if you have anything you want us to make better or get rid of or keep doing, let us know. Andrew, it may be the AFL off-season. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, mm, No, yes. we have the draft. National draft is 25th of November coming up. Yep. But uh, there has been a hell of a lot of news in the background. Bring us up to date with what's been going on. Well, the first one has been hanging around for a while, and that involved young Lockie Whitfield from the GWS Giants and his uh, still unexplained disappearance for a few days to play a welfare manager Craig Lambert's house. There's 
suggestions that he was trying to avoid the drug testers and there's suggestions of text messages being sent and deleted. Well, those suggestions have turned into a year-long suspension for Craig Lambert, a year-long suspension for Graham Allen and a six-month suspension for Lockie Whitfield. Yeah, and it's resulted in Graham Allen resigning his position with Collingwood, which he had only recently commenced. Yep. Craig Lambert... We're not sure if he will retain time, his position. Time will tell. Lockie Whitfield only misses eight games, I think, all up. Yeah, because he accepted his suspension, accepted his role in all of this, he was able to do much like the Cronulla Sharks when they had their issues with Stephen Dank and Asada. They were able to have a shortened suspension. Lockie Whitfield will have a shortened suspension. He will only be missing eight weeks of the next AFL season. He'll be primed for finals. Now, speaking of people who dealt with Asada properly, Mm. that's not our next one, is it? No, Job Watson has today been, well, on Friday, I should say, handed back his Brownlow medal that he won in 2012, which was the, the year in question for the, depending on who you are, the Essendon supplement regime or the Essendon injection regime. Job, Sam Mitchell and Trent Cotchen, who were the two runners-up, were asked by the AFL to present their case as to yeah. why they should keep and then why they and what they think should happen with the Brownlow medal, which is completely and utterly gutless. I understand that for Job, but for the other two, yeah. it's a, it is a bit gutless. Make your call and stick with it, AFL. And they've done that. They've awarded Brownlow medals to Trent Cotchen and Sam Mitchell for 2012 and ratifying, I guess, that Job Watson has returned his. Yeah, and there will be a ceremony of some description in two weeks' time with the players' family and friends, which... I'm sure we'll be... That'll be... Have all the pomp and ceremony of an Australian citizenship ceremony. Yeah, and also the players will get all of the, you know, the glory and the um, sort of fortunes that come and opportunities that come with being a Brownlow medalist in the direct aftermath. Or So the Carbine Club is setting up a special... Anyway, let's move on. That's two pretty... Pretty down stories, Andrew. Have we got anything that's kind of good? We do, we do. The... Uh, final agreement for the women's AFL competition was finalised last is week. Collective bargaining, collective bargaining is it? agreement. Yep. Yeah, the we talked about it when it was first, I guess, mooted. The I don't know, the Ambit claim, I think they call. Oh, we were hipped up with outrage. Yeah, that when you know a, a less than expected pay deal was was thrown up. There's been a lot of negotiation which has resulted in a new pay deal being... I think it's gone from five grand to eight grand or something similar. Yeah, for the majority of players, it will be $8,000, as you say, instead of, instead of the $5,000. This is the non, non-marquee, non, uh, what's the other one they call them? Priority, Priority players. players. Yes. Yeah, and it's not just the money the so the players themselves will be placed on 24 week contracts and they're required to commit 9 hours per week plus 20 hours of media and social appearances huh. but so 9 hours of training and 20 hours of Oh, no, 20 hours in total across the contract oh, all right. yeah not, Sorry. not per week not <laughs> I mis- per week. I misread that however what they're receiving is for games that require interstate travel they get an additional $80 
for each night spent away from home, two pair of footy boots and a pair of runners, income protection for 12 months if the players are injured and unable to work, medical expenses covered for 12 months after their contract, and carer's allowance for players travelling interstate who have a child under 12 months old. That's good. Uh, It was obscene that the players didn't even get a boot allowance, for God's sake. Andrew, our guest this week is the national recruiting manager for the Collingwood Football Club, possibly the biggest sporting club in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dom Malisi is his name. He joined Collingwood in about 2008, as you'll hear, which was a period of premiership glory for the Pies. Uh, and it, he and his team are largely responsible for keeping the Collingwood flames burning, so to speak. Uh, we had a talk to him earlier this week. Uh, I hope you all enjoy it. Don Malisi, welcome to a sporting discussion. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. As the national recruiting manager for the Collingwood Football Club in the AFL, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown of what that role entails? Yeah, of course. So basically my role is probably what you call the old-fashioned talent scout. So really um, just travelling around Australia, trying to identify uh, potential players for the future for Collingwood. Uh, both at under-18s level, but also mature age guys as well in the state leagues. And how did you get into that? It's a, a bit of a niche role, really. Yeah, well, I was probably um, pretty lucky. I worked out pretty long, pretty early on that I wasn't going to uh, make it as a footballer. I wasn't very <laughs> good at that. So um, basically, uh, I started volunteering down at Fox Hill back in 2001, Um in fact, I can actually remember watching Sam Mitchell play his first game in the reserves, wearing number 58, <laughs> uh, a long time ago. Uh, and did, then did I you think of, he was any good then? I actually, I did. I said, oh. How, how's this guy not uh, <laughs> been a bit better? I didn't think he'd go on to be as, quite as good as that. But <laughs> <laughs> he was certainly far too good for VFL reserves level. Um, so basically then for the next two to three years, I um, – did off my own bat. So I'd go and watch under-18 games, um, take my own notes, um, and really just sort of practice myself. Um, and then sort of late 2004, early 2005, Gary Bacanara rang me and said, would you like to come work part-time at Hawthorne? Um, which obviously was a bit of a dream for me growing up, mad Hawthorne supporter. Um, used to go every week. So then uh, I went along and sort of – I basically still had a normal job – so I worked there um, on weekends um, and did that for a few years, also did a bit of opposition analysis. And then in 2008, uh, Collingwood approached me and um, I was a bit surprised at the time. Um, my mum certainly wasn't too pleased when I told her I'm thinking of going across there. I think her, <laughs> I think her exact words were, well, you're going to be out of the will. Um, <laughs> I love but, it. Cl- classic Melbourne family. Yes, that's right. But uh, to be honest, it was the best decision I ever made because, um, I mean, they were really good to me from the moment I joined. And uh, after two years of being there part-time, I got offered a full-time role in 2010. So basically, I'd done sort of nine years of part-time and volunteer work whilst holding down a normal job before I got an opportunity, um, which is sort of how a lot of people have to break into the industry because it's a very hard uh, thing to get into. Yeah, it's good to hear a lot of the blood, sweat and tears paying off. Um, yeah. Dom, 
what what's what sort of resources do you have for your recruiting at Collingwood? Uh, what sort of team do you have around you or above you or under you? Yeah, so basically we've got Derek Hine, who is uh, the general manager of list management. So he sort of does a lot of the dealings in terms of player contracts, trading and the like. And then um, myself, Matthew Rendell and Adam Shepard, we're the full-time recruiting staff. Uh, so we've got four, which is actually one of the – the smaller teams across the AFL. Um, some of the others run with sort of seven or eight or nine. Um, so, and then, but then we've got about 15 to 16 part time staff scattered across Australia. And they're probably the unsung heroes, I reckon, sort of in the uh, football industry because they do all the uh, hard yards going to the games in the country that we can't get to. Um, a lot of them have, they've all got normal jobs. They work Monday to Friday and they really just do it for the love of footy. Um, you know, and they're really good football people, all different backgrounds, but they just love what they do. So we re- we rely very heavily on them to be sort of our eyes and ears on the ground because we can't be everywhere at once. And how many games approximately a year would those, you know, those part-timers go along and watch? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. Oh, probably for those guys that are working two days a week, I mean, they could if they go to double headers and stuff like that, they'd be doing sixty to seventy games a year. I'd say if they're doing practice games and the like. Yeah, right. Um, whereas for us, we'd probably be up over a hundred, I reckon, once you start including, um, you know, uh, pre-season games, school games midweek. Um, I reckon I did a count one year and it was well over a hundred, but I've sort of given up after that because. Oh, wow. uh, a lot of the time, you're only at a game for two quarters or three quarters, and then you're rushing off to the next one. So it's um, it's pretty hard to actually keep an accurate count of how many games you attend each year. <laughs> well, that leads nicely into my next question, which is: uh, you, you're going to all of these games, or you're attending a half, or something like that. Um, when's the draft? I think it's the twenty fifth, twenty fifth of yes. November. Yep. Um, so yep. outside of being at the game or being in the draft, what sort of work goes in outside of hours, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah, no, so basically to give a rundown of our basic week, um, sort of Monday we all gather in the office um, and we go through where we were on the weekend because usually one or two of us travelled interstate. Um, We'll run through the stats from every competition in Australia um, and then we'll we'll chat it to our part-time staff and then we've got a big board like every club probably does and we'll move magnets around and chat about (laughs) different things. And then um, that sort of takes up nearly all of Monday. We organise any travel we might have to do for the upcoming week. Uh, and then on Tuesday, the vision arrives at Champion Data. So we go down and pick that up. And that's basically 50 games across Australia a week of vision from every comp. Um, so I'm talking Waffle, Sample, VFL, AFL, Tech Cup. And it's all coded by player. And then... Um, Sort of basically most of Tuesday, Wednesdays, watching edits of players that we might not have seen a lot of or guys that are getting recommended. Um, so there's a lot of sitting in front of the computer watching watching footy. Um, <laughs> and then sort of Thursday is nominally your day off, but often you do a bit at home or you might have to go out and interview a potential player. Uh, and then Fridays usually pick up a bit more vision or you um, – either travel in a state for footy or you go watch school footy when that's on. 
and then the weekend rolls around again. <laughs> and, but you, you say that you get the vision of, you know, like 50 or 60 games and then you watch specific players. Do you find that you can see different things in a player watching them on your laptop as opposed to watching them at the, the ground or vice versa? Uh, yeah, you can, definitely. Um, I think there's never any substitute for watching a player live. Um I know, like, I mean, people love the movie Mayball and I think it's a great film and stats are a very important part of our job, particularly for me coming from an economics background. But I also love there's a Clint Eastwood movie called The Trouble with the Curve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about a baseballer and it basically the, the scout's going blind, but he can pick up the guy who won't um, be able to handle playing major league because he can't hit the curveball. Um, and so I think... That's the important side of it as well. You really have to go and watch them live and see what their running patterns are like, um, you know, what they're like at the breaks, at the huddles, in the warm-up. Um, they probably don't think we're watching them at those times, but we are. See how a kid reacts when he gets dragged. Um, how, how important are those aspects? Because that's obviously going to be something that you – like in the past, people looked at you know, your, your playing ability, whereas now it's a lot about the like the mental aptitude of the, the players and their ability to respond to, to various situations and various instructions. So do you think that that's changed over time, the fact that you, you watch people at the huddle and you know on the bench just to see how they react? Oh, massively, yeah. It's, it's really changed even from when I started a few years ago in terms of we really have to know what the learning style of the kid is what type of coaching is going to work well for him. Um, obviously, AFL footy is so structured and uh, most of the kids are coming out of a competition where they're really encouraged to play. They don't actually have much structure in terms of their setups. And we, we prefer that because we can just assess them on their playing ability. But then the uh, issue is they come in and they have to sort of learn then how to adapt to whatever game style that particular team's playing. So um, we have to do a lot of assessment on their psychological makeup. Um, I mean, we've got a psych employed that sort of helps us with that. But um, a lot of it's too, just speaking to people, coaches, teammates, school teachers, his, um, his boss at work, get a bit of a feel for them that way. Um, just to take it up a few age brackets, to a player that's already in the AFL system uh, that you might want to uh, get your hands on, what's the process for that? Is it, is it much different at all? Um, not particularly. Like, certainly, we've got an online reporting system and every player is in there, whether they're on an AFL list or TAC Cup. So I can put a report in on a player who's in the AFL system just like I can an under-18 kid. Um, usually, we start targeting guys a fair way out. So um, it's not like sort of you get to trade pure and go, oh, gee, that guy will be handy for us or that guy will be good. Like, Adam Trelaw, we did an enormous amount of work in him in terms of watching him basically for 12 months in the lead-up um, before we started negotiating the GWS. Um, but in terms of the actual negotiations with the player managers and the like, that's more Derek's role. I'll probably just go to the games and uh, and say, yeah, this is how we played. And then obviously with the um, AFL guys too, that's probably something the coach gets a little bit more invested in than the under-18 players. I was going to, to touch on the coaching aspect because obviously the the coaches don't see as many games as, as you guys do, but that would still, I imagine, have a bit of an influence on the type of player that's drafted or maybe even the specific player that's drafted. What sort of influence does the coach have? 
Yeah, I remember when I started um, with Mick Malthouse was a coach at the time, and he had a saying, let the baker bake the bread. And um, Bucks is of a similar opinion that really they're there to coach, we're there to recruit. They don't get to know these kids like we do. They haven't been watching them for three years. They might get to see them live once and watch a bit of vision. So they don't tend to get too involved in saying you should pick this player or that player. Um, they might be saying, look, we probably need another midfielder or we need another key back. Um, but I think these days too with free agency and uh, the ability to take mature age rookies and the trade period being a lot more open, you can probably balance up your list in other ways. It's not so reliant on the draft as it probably once was. Um, so there's a list management committee committee that meets sort of once every fortnight um, to go through where the list's at and what the holes are. And we try and address those in a variety of ways. It's not just sort of based on, well, we need this, so we'll just get it in the draft. Uh, and so I guess just further to that, you, it's not necessarily the uh, best player available as it work. It may well be the best player in a certain position that you will go harder at. Would that is that fair to say? Yeah, that's right. I think like everyone likes to say they get to pick the best player available and in an ideal world you would, um, particularly early on. I think that's what tends to happen. But I, I do think as the draft opens up and it becomes very even as, as you get later on, um, I think clubs do start going a bit more towards needs. Um, and when we try to balance that out a bit, we certainly wouldn't pick five ruckmen in the national draft or anything like that. But at the same time, you've got to be careful that you're not reaching too much for a particular type of player. So we we really make sure we know what the depth is in each position and um, we won't go overboard and pick a player 20 positions higher on the list just because he's a key forward or a key back. And speaking of the, you know, taking a player based on, you know, the, the position or based on their individual abilities, there's another element to it that, you know, as I'm a Hawthorne supporter as well, the point in time of the club compared to a premiership in 2007 – Hawthorne took Stuart Jew in the draft instead of taking David Zaharakis, who was told that they were, you know, tossing up between those two. And that was, you know, a a call which 12 months later, 10 months later, came came to fruition with a, a premiership. So the where the actual club is in its, I guess, development stage would come into it as well, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. Now, I mean, as I said, it probably doesn't impact so much on the draft these days with free agency and probably clubs are now looking to more go down that path or the trade to top up if they really think they're close to a flag. Um, I certainly know back in um, 08, 09, like obviously um, Collingwood traded a first round pick for Darren Jolly, um, who played a pretty important part in the premiership. And then they got Luke Ball in the draft um, at pick 30. Um, And obviously he played in the flag the next year as well. So it is certainly a factor, but I think you've got to also keep in mind that a lot of the kids that we're talking about that are going to get drafted next week, realistically, they'll play their best footy in 2022 to 2024, which is, you know, a long, long way away <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, you're, when you're looking at potential premierships and stuff like that. So really, you're drafting for the future. I think you hope a guy will come in and have an impact the first year, but... Um, I think realistically, most of the kids will come in. They might play a bit of footy, but you're only going to get your Chris Judds and the like once every 10 years or so. Yeah. 
Well, it's really interesting that you said that because you, you've landed at Collingwood at a very interesting time in 08 where they were right up there and contending. Um, what sort of mission are you given at that point where uh, there's a big chance of a premiership on the horizon, there's a big chance of sustained excellence? Uh, do you ignore basically the present and just look forward like you've just hinted? Yeah, pre- I mean, you've just got to keep to a plan of sustained success. You don't want to say, all right, let's throw all the eggs in the basket of winning a flag next year and then whatever happens after that, we'll pick up the pieces. I mean, every player we pick, we've got a view that they're going to fit in to give us a sustained run at it over a several-year period. And that's certainly what we've been looking at the last three or four years. Like, obviously, we've regenerated the list quite a bit um, since Nathan's taken over. I mean, we're still in the bottom half for age and games played on average. Um, it's gone up a little bit the last uh, the last trade period, but we're, we're certainly um, confident that this, this group that we've got together, we've got a really strong group between 20 and 24, and we think they're going to stick together for the next few years and provide a really sustained crack at the finals. All right. Uh, now, we do have the draft next week, and a lot of work has gone into it, obviously, from Collingwood. But today, uh, there's been a bit going on at Collingwood with Graham Allen being suspended. Um, and how's that? how does that impact on your uh, view ahead for the week? Yeah, well, uh, to be honest, it doesn't impact on our particular role a great deal. Um, because uh, whoever, whoever's been the footy manager while I've been there, and we've had a, a few now, um, you know, they don't get too involved in the day-to-day workings of the draft. So, you know, Gubby was great while he was there, but having said that, I actually, when I started, I've shared an office with Marcus Wagner, who's um, just taken over as the acting footy manager, and um, I think he's going to be great for it as well in terms of the challenge. Um, but in terms of the day-to-day stuff, it probably doesn't impact us as much, like because the funny thing about recruiters are we're sort of in and out of the office so much, we're a bit removed from the rest of the footy department. <laughs> so a lot of the time there'll be meetings on and stuff. We don't know anything about it because we're in Perth or Adelaide. Um, so sometimes we can be the last to know what's going on. Well, you've got your yeah, grand final, Christmas, <laughs> Easter, birthday, everything all wrapped up coming up this week. We're not going to be cheeky enough to ask who Collingwood have their eye on for with their picks. But just before we go, if we can get one player that you've been – disappointed to to miss that that you missed out on and one player that you've been really pleased that you've picked up maybe someone who wasn't perhaps on anyone else's radar who's turned into a really good player oh one player is disappointed well Dyson Heppel was probably the best interview I've done in my time since I've been Mm full-time um and I mean our our first pick was 45 that year so we probably (laughs) knew he wasn't going to get to (laughs) get to there but I, I just we just knew uh, – we interviewed him in February, I reckon, of that year, and um, we didn't see him again because we just said, oh, well, he's an absolute no-brainer of a kid. Yep. The la- next time we saw him was actually at the draft, and he came up and he remembered every recruiter's name, shook our hands, said, oh, I hope you guys were really happy. I hope it goes well for you. And you could just tell, like, he was going to be not only a great player but just a great a great leader around whatever club that got him. That's impressive. So, um, yeah. Uh, and then in terms of the other part of the question, we'll probably one – that we took last year was Josh Smith from Redlands. Um, probably our stats analyst, Michael O'Loughlin, should take a fair bit of the credit there. He sort of um, – he was running his running the numbers through his sheets and he, he kept pushing him up saying, look, this guy's going really well on all our metrics in the NEFL. 
Um, so then we went up and watched him, and he, he played quite well. You know, it's probably not as well covered as the VFL or some of the other comps. He was 22. He'd been through the system. He just slowly improved. Uh, so Derek and I went out and interviewed him sort of a month before the draft, and he was that hungry for an opportunity. Like, he was just desperate. Um, he was working in childcare. He, he just really wanted to – he was a fantastic person. just really wanted to take whatever opportunity came. So we, we walked out and we said, we've got to give this kid a chance. So we took him second round of the rookie draft, um, and he played eighteen games in debut and finished seventh in our best and fairest. That's, so, yep, that, that's good, pretty good handy. Get, yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think he's going to have a really long career. And they're, they're the ones that probably, you know, you, you get happy with every player you pick, but um, probably the ones that have really done it the hard way, like even someone like Sam Dwyer, he was overlooked mm-hmm. in eight drafts before we took him in as a rookie. Um, you know, he only played 45, 50 games, so they were pretty good ones. And I think he'd look back and say, look, I, at least I got a chance and I played okay AFL footy. Mm. That's probably what what you like to see, that at least everyone that you picked, they gave it their best shot. Absolutely. Well, Don Malisi, thank you very much for joining us here on a sporting discussion. Good luck at the draft next week. Hopefully there's a couple of Dyson Heppels and uh, and young Smith and Dwyers that you can you know pick up there and good luck for yes for the upcoming year. No worries. Thank you very much guys. Appreciate it. AJ, we've spoken on a sporting discussion previously and quite recently mm-hmm. about the abject failures of the Australian cricket team. Is it time to accept that we grew up with a very good Australian cricket team and at the moment they're just not very good and we don't have quality cricketers coming through? But do we have a community that can handle such Underperformance, Andrew. Social media today would suggest not. My word. And we piled on. Let's not get all self-righteous here. We we gave a good old kicking. All in the name of humour, folks. All in the name of humour. We kick because we love. What happened this week or the last couple of days down in Hobart? We've had two tests and I think we've lasted seven days all up. Mm. Seven out of ten. And one of them was Usually that's good. And one day was rained out. Yeah, true, true. Oh, that's depressing. Now. The, the <laughs> second test against South Africa, Australia faced something like 93 overs for the entire test and mm. South Africa faced 100 overs. It was basically over in a day Half an and hour. an hour. But remember, like we said last week, and uh, in, in the first test... Two days and an hour. Two days and an hour. Um, in, the, in the first test, we had South Africa 5 for 81. Mm-hmm. were within 100 with no wickets left at the end of day one mm. and have just been putrid ever since. What, what, I mean, we, we tried to talk about what was going on last week. Let's come in off the long run today. And particularly because, as you've mentioned, there's a generation, there's two generations of people here in Australia who are, who are used to nothing but success and domination of your enemies by our Australian cricket team, uh, particularly in the whites. Is that... The issue was the period of domination, particularly the one led by Steve Waugh, where that was when Australia became more aggressive with the bat and with the mouth. Well, they were winning everything. Mm. They, could, they couldn't lose if they tried. No. And so I guess the focus more on aggression and passion and emotion, let's call it, 
uh, might be our downfall right now because we've still got people saying, oh, you just need someone in who's going to have a go and blah, blah, blah. I think we need let – me, let me draw a parallel uh, with soccer. All right. We hate teams that dive, roll around, play pragmatically, waste time. You'll see it in the Asian qualifiers. <laughs> um, but it works. Teams win championships playing like that. Teams win, teams win championships scoring one goal and then wasting 89 more minutes. Yeah. Uh, do you think, just bringing that back to the cricket pitch, is it time that our batsmen worried less about charging runs and being exciting and all of that and more about a bit, bit of Bill Laurie, Jeff Boycott sort of bat as long as you can? bit of Chris Rogers, Simon Kadic. Oh, yeah. Well, who, were, who, were, who were rubbished for the way they played. Yeah. Applauded when they made their tons, but rubbished outside of that. Ed Cowan was another one who was, was rubbish for the way oh, he, he scored played. too slowly. Yeah. yeah. But, he, but he was there. There were, there were two dismissals in the but well, one in Australia's first innings, one in Australia's second innings, which summed up the attitude that you're talking about. David Warner in the first innings, in the first over, slashing wildly outside off stump. I would edge. expect to play that shot myself. I would not expect to see the opening batsman for the Australian Test team play that. If he was wearing colours, fair enough. But if it, in an, on an overcast Hobart morning, no thank you. And then this morning on whenever it was, day four, Usman Khawaja, who had batted very well and he and Steve Smith were basically there to bat as long as they could. That was their role and Khawaja got nailed down and he basically did a similar swish outside off stump. It was completely and utterly unnecessary and the the collapse just happened. And you know what the worst part was? I got probably three different like group texts when that first wicket went saying, here comes the collapse. So people know that it's happening. And is that part of the problem? Did the Australian cricket team go, oh, bugger, we're, we're going to collapse here? Well, it seems Steve Smith was the only one who fought it out again with the bat in the second test and the first test. Um, Usman Kawaja had a, had a little bit of a go, but like you said, he, he can give it away. But we have lamented for months and months and months and months, even back to the very beginning of the podcast when the audio was garbage, so don't, go bo- don't bother going back listening to it, folks, <laughs> that um, there's no young players coming through to rebuild. And we've, we just spoke with Don Malisi, who said that when Collingwood was at a period of high achievement, that his only job was to look forward to the future and keep mm. that going. That, yep. That's completely out the window here. Well, yeah, you look at the, the last three years in the Shield and the people that have made runs are the people who have been given the opportunity in the Australian team. So the ones that are performing at the domestic level are being shown up in the national level, which is why I was saying at the start, are we just not that good? Is it time to accept that in AFL parlance it's time for a rebuild? Well, it would be time for a rebuild if there are any bricks we have a house that's falling down, but we have, what, fibro to put it together well, and, and blue tack. And, and that's where you say, okay, let's just get rid of anyone over the age of 28 and start again. I'm not necessarily suggesting that's the best way forward because you can ruin a young batsman's career by throwing them in, especially against a South Africa and Pakistan team in the next two tests mm. in the day-night. So, so I guess let's wrap this up. So I guess what you're saying is we're going to have to cop it this summer. Yep. And this is just for the test team because, you know, the 2020 and the one day is we will win one, we'll lose one, and everyone will think it's okay. Mm-hmm. We've lost five tests in a row. Uh, we will probably need well, 
I, I don't know. What do we got after this summer? Let's well, let's worry about that in a future India. episode. Oh, India in India in India. Oh, even better. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost a matter of write that off, write off, write off the, the series against South Africa, write off the series against Pakistan, write off the series against India, and use that as an opportunity to blood whoever they want, and just hope Cricket Australia can get their cash out of the coloured clothes games. Now, mm. one, uh, the only thing I would say is take the passion out of it. Take the emotion out of it. Don't worry about oh the, the you know the baggy green and I've got to be here and this and that and the other. Yep. Worry about how your bat's going when it's approaching the ball. AJ, we will move into our fast five, which may or may not be five things. Fast things. Wayne Bennett. <laughs> what's, what's, what's he doing Oh, now? Uncle Wayne. He's annoying the British press because he's not uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? He's not as exciting as they wanted. They, when he took the coaching job over in England, uh, he was supposed to inject new life, new fun, new everything into, the, into English rugby league, which mm. in the general scheme of things over in the UK in England is really low. On right. the list of priorities. Uh, okay. Uh, so the plan was he would come along, take them through this Four Nations tournament and then sweep them to World Cup glory next year. Mm-hmm. It's not looking that way because the British press are just working out that when you put Wayne Bennett in front of a TV camera or put a microphone in his face, he tends to clam up and give you cursory answers. Yes. Which the Australian Rugby League viewing public have known for for many years. Yeah, so now the, it's 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 really funny. The British press are writing the same articles that the Australian press did about, you know, if he's not going to talk to us, you know, how are we going to grow the game, this, that and the other, as if it's Wayne's responsibility to do that. Um, the Four Nations wraps up uh, this weekend. With it's been pretty good. Australia playing New Zealand. Some interesting results. Yeah. England have been... Uh, okay Which is probably But it's uh, I feel for Wayne Because they're just no good <laughs> They've got some good players But mm. The English league Isn't that good Yep And the English team Isn't that good Australia Flogged them with a leg in the air And you know One hand Waving a sparkler Basically <laughs> um, They doubled their score Without too much trouble New Zealand Who are Hot and cold At the best of times mm. uh, They scraped over the line Against England Uh and they drew with Scotland, which is an incredible result. Mm. Or it would be if Scotland had any Scottish players playing. Um, <laughs> there's, no, there's no professional rugby league in Scotland. Is it a foregone conclusion that Australia are going to romp to the title? Usually you'd say that. But remember, you, the first time they met in the series, New Zealand were held up over the line after the clock and they could have won. Mm-hmm. Uh, and New Zealand tend to spark up for the bigger games. So we'll have to see. But Australia are just... Light years ahead of anyone else in international rugby league. Let's have a last one, Andrew. The A League. Talk about the top and the bottom. Well, the top was meant to be Melbourne City when Tim Cahill came in. He and Bruno Fornaroli were going to score all of the goals that could possibly be scored. They started well and they've dropped off a little bit. However, they're not the story. Sydney FC are the story. They have won six in a row, which is one shy of the competition record. But it's not just the fact that they're winning. They, they keep scoring four goals. They're, yeah, they're, just, they're absolutely knocking in goals for fun. Yeah, they're just completely dominant. Um, who was it? Uh, Ninkovic on the weekend just 
completely, completely dominated the 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 four one victory over Perth and Perth are no schlubs. Perth are actually pretty good. Yeah, and I think um, they oh, Kenny Lowe, the coach, he's got a good good team going. But mm. um, I think they got it to one one on the weekend, and then yeah, Milos Ninkovic and Bobo just tore them to pieces. Yeah, and Ninkovic yeah. was the one that set up uh, Bobo for his goal. So yeah, they're, two they're, one, two one. Sorry, they got it two. But yeah, that's pretty much as close as anyone's been to Sydney this year. Well, it's the first goal that anyone scored against them, <laughs> well, there and you go. I think it was an own goal. Yeah, it was. Yep. Yeah, actually, yeah, Ryan Grant own goal. <laughs> Melbourne City, Brisbane Roar, and Melbourne Victory are fighting for second place at the moment, and. There's a there's a, a team name missing from all of that. Last year's premiers. Where, year's... where are they? Let's scroll down further. Geez, Wellington Phoenix are in the six. That came out of nowhere. Scroll down further. Oh, scroll down to Adela- where Adelaide they... United are on the bottom of the table. Where they were at this point in the season last year before they started their 17 game run to glory. No wins and two draws from six games. Now last year you'll remember they had no wins from their first eight or nine games, maybe eight games, mm. and stormed home with something like 16 of 20 to win the uh, championship overall, the premiership. So uh, is this a tactic? <laughs> <laughs> no, they've lost. They've lost some players, so it's. I don't know. I'm not sure they'll be able to get all the way up. They've still got Isaias and a couple of good ones, but it's going yeah, to be they, bloody tough. They don't have the Bruces, Jide and Kamau. Neither of them are there. They do have Bruce Kamau's at Melbourne City. He's fantastic. Mm. They do have Serge Guardiola, who has been good. Isaias, obviously. But they drew with Brisbane Roar on the weekend. and Rumblings. Yeah. Some maybe, maybe. Maybe they've got the bricks that Australian cricket doesn't have. That'll do for this week's edition of a sporting discussion. Make sure that you tell your friends to subscribe to us on whatever podcast service they use. Make sure you tell everyone to follow us on Twitter at ASD underscore podcast. Follow us on Facebook facebook.com slash a sporting discussion. Share all of the content. Uh, AJ has Done a little bit of strategy. We've and done a bit of done a bit of a spring clean, um, and you know I don't do it for free, Andrew. So my invoice will be landing soon. We've given the given the logo a bit of a bit of a refresh. Mm. Uh, we've given a few things a bit of a refresh, and we need your help, folks, by sharing the content, uh, engaging with us, uh, getting a Barney with us. We love a good social media Barney. Who doesn't? Exactly. And as, as just keep your cursing out because we're very precious like that. As AJ said during the episode, if there is anything that you would like like us to do with the podcast, whether it be outside broadcasts like someone suggested, just, yeah, let us know. And I'm just going to jump in, Andrew. A quick shout out to East Malvern Taronga Cricket Club, who uh, we are going to be hosting their annual trivia night this Saturday night. It's going to be good fun. It is. We've got a whiz-bang PowerPoint presentation all set up (laughs) and ready to go. Everyone loves PowerPoint. That'll be great. Now, uh, talking of outside activities, are you going to be on 3RRFM on Monday? Monday morning. 7.15? I will be. I will be calling in because I have removalists coming on Ooh. Monday morning. Oh, that's right. Moving to your $4.2 million mansion <laughs> in the hills. In the hills. Yes, that's <laughs> right. Uh, AJ, theraw.com.au. Yes, so I'm live blogging the Four Nations final this weekend, Ooh. which is at 1 a.m. on Monday morning. So You're committed. You're very Ooh. committed. <laughs> 
I wonder if anyone will accept a five-hour delay. <laughs> <laughs> the the Women's Big Bash is kicking off on the 10th of December and White Line Wireless will be bringing you every single game uh, live now because not only are Channel 10 showing 10 or 12 games, but Cricket Australia will be streaming every other game live on their website. So ball by ball by bloody ball, White Line Wireless will be providing the commentary for this year's WBBL. Lovely. Let's get out of here. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week. Thank you.